Hey there, it's the Gold Digger Mom Podcast, the podcast about moms creating their own opportunities to help inspire you to create your own opportunity, whether it's a side hustle or a full-time business. I'm your host, Lydia Poole. Thank you so much for joining me. Sarah Jane Lowry is on the show today. Last week, Priya Amin, the founder of Flexible, talked about working with a confidence coach, and I was so fascinated by this. I had never heard of a confidence coach before, and I was even joking with my husband, like, how much confidence do you have to have to be a confidence coach? That's amazing. And I really wanted to speak with her. So Priya got me in contact with her coach, Sarah Jane Lowry. Before starting her own consulting and coaching business, Sarah Jane worked in PR and marketing, event planning, and ultimately spent 25 years in the nonprofit world. She held the title of executive director of a few nonprofits. Sarah Jane now works as a consultant in the nonprofit world. She became a confidence coach because people literally just kept asking her how she was so confident. She coaches entrepreneurs and CEOs, and we are lucky enough to get some of her insight today. You can check her out at sarahjanelowry.com, and that's Sarah with no H. I learned a lot in this interview. Confidence is something that I, like many women, really struggle with at times. So I found this particularly useful. We talked about things like imposter syndrome, building courage through trying new things, how to prepare for a speech or a business pitch, finding the confidence when you are just starting out, and reframing your failures. I really love what Sarah Jane had to say about practicing gratitude, even in the midst of a failure, and how that can be really powerful. I'm really excited to share this interview with you. Stick around. It's going to be a great show. So I thought I'd go ahead and talk a little bit about how I learned confidence starting really in high school from, it seems like a long journey, but it's relevant. Um, In high school, I, right as a freshman, got a part in the school musical. And that process of putting myself out there and singing in front of an audience uh, caused me to start taking voice lessons, which started a journey of exploration of what it means to perform and to have other people critique you. Um, So singing was the one area in my life that my parents were very supportive. Then we had four kids, so it was hard for them to maybe give enough attention to everybody. But when I was singing and performing, it was something that they were delighted with and caused me to do auditioning both um, obviously for all of the high school musicals, but plays, and then to do some speeches in the community, and eventually sort of singing for hire. And all of those times and places pushed me to be out of my somewhat introverted self, um, just through the sheer practice of having to do it. And I think also in the sense of hiding a little bit behind a persona that you would play in a musical. So when I left high school, I went to Hart College of Music in Hartford, Connecticut, and started performing in opera there. And there was a lot more attention on me as an opera singer and sort of what um, persona people thought an opera singer should have. And I think that for me, it um, caused me to lose a little bit of 
who I was and really what I wanted in life. And after I left college, I went to New York. Um, I sang, you know, in New York, I came to Pittsburgh um, when I decided to leave singing. For, and that's a complicated story that I'll leave for another day. But that practice of kind of hiding behind my voice and singing, I found was not as effective as I wanted it to be in terms of my confidence in everyday life as the person that I was. So in a way, I had, I knew how to act it. And I think, you know, they say fake it till you make it carried me to a certain extent in my life, but eventually I had to figure out how to put myself forward as Sarah Jane Lowry and who I wanted to really be in the world and what I wanted to accomplish. So it was an interesting journey and an interesting skill set. And now that I'm back to coaching people and coaching them on, for example, giving pitches um, and also uh, you know, having to talk to investors, having to make sales calls, and helping them with the confidence building in that, I really think the journey led me to understanding how important it was to be authentic and authentically who you are and standing in your own power rather than behind someone else. Hmm. Or even behind that sort of persona, would you say? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a way in which people... Um, when I was younger as a singer, people just saw me as that. I was sort of famous in my town and, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to work with people at the Met um, and people just saw me as this kind of commodity and I lost kind of the, the part of me and um, whether people actually liked me for me rather than my voice. So the skill, like I said, carried me far, but I was almost had to start from scratch after I left singing opera to, to really just being Sarah Jane Lowry and where was I going to go next in terms of um, what I wanted for my life and learning to fight for that. And it was a long journey to that. What do you think that exposure to, as I imagine, a, a fair amount of rejection of, uh, in my mind, of auditioning and you, you know, sure. you get some of it, you don't get all of it, right? Absolutely. Um, how do you think that played into your, uh, this confidence journey that you've had? It is one of the benefits, I think, of that journey. It's one of the things that toughened me up to recognizing that often the rejection didn't have anything to do with you know, how well I sang or, or performed something. It had to do with what a director's vision was for the role, the type of sound that they wanted or who they wanted the tenor to be and whether I matched up to that vision, um, whether they thought I was, you know, too tall, too short, too, too whatever physically, um, matching their vision for what they wanted. There was a lot mm -hmm. that really I had very little control over uh, in somebody else's mind. And so I began to not see that rejection as personal. And I didn't lose that. Um, 
I understand now that it's all about chemistry between people. Um, in business, it's like, who is your avatar? And do you speak to them, to their needs, uh, to, to what they're hoping for? Do they feel understood by you? I mean, we all strive to do do the best we can to communicate that and sometimes it works better for some people than others so I think that that has really helped me and helped me I think in helping some of my clients understand that um, you know if they're spending all their time trying to get you to lower your price then maybe you really aren't the right you know person for them and for what their business needs because I think that when you connect with somebody and you share common goals and they think that you can solve an issue for them then and they feel they can trust you and all of the things that are authentically you and what you communicate that um, people will meet you halfway and if you're really fighting with them it might not be the right you know chemistry is the way I is the term that I use for it. Hmm. That's interesting because I think it's so easy to take it either sort of personally or pick yourself apart. Like, what did I do mm -hmm. wrong? What could I have done more? And it may not have anything to do with you at all. Like taking that that lesson mm -hmm. from the opera into right business. Exactly. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have anything to do with you, but unless that person is willing to share with you really the reason why they didn't select you, you're only guessing. Yeah. Um, and I think if you are concerned, I mean, I think our instincts are usually pretty good. If we're open to working with someone, it doesn't have to be a coach. It can be just a, a friend or a business partner or whoever it is on like what you're doing in your pitch, how you're selling it, what you're selling. And the response that they're giving you is on par with what you intuitively know is working for you, then I think you can pretty safely say that it may not be you um, in that process. It could be things like you didn't make that connection over meeting their need. You know, you didn't address that well enough and you could improve and tweak and things like that. But I don't, I don't usually see the sale going right out the window. I see that the person that you're talking with will come back with more questions because they're trying to get at what you're doing to help them. And sometimes our greatest weakness is getting out of ourselves in our own way to put ourselves in that other person's shoes to understand what they're the most worried about and concerned about and whether you can speak directly to that. So it's, it's sometimes interpretation um, of a opportunity, but it's rarely about whether your, your pitch or your sales pitch is on target. Hmm. There's a, I, th um, I think if you got to the point of an interview, especially, you know, where they've invited you in to pitch, then you're, you know, already you're on target. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, imposter syndrome. Sure. And um, I don't know, the people that you work with, why do you, what do you think is kind of at the root of 
the struggle of imposter syndrome? Or do you want to kind of, in case there are people listening who don't aren't familiar with that, do you want to kind of explain what it is? Sure. Um, there's, there's a variety of different types of imposters, so to speak, um, that people think of themselves as. Um, common, it's most common among women. Um, it's, it's also present in men, but women seem to feel it the most. Um, I think in many ways, in part because people, women in particular, um, don't have a natural inclination to sort of toot their own horn. They, they, it's sort of frowned on amongst the way that women relate to one another as compared to men who are all, you know, sort of always tend to be out there um, talking about their accomplishments. And it's just, a, I think, a societal um, habit that unfortunately we are in. And, um, and I think that there's a way in which women don't recognize some of the skills that they that they actually have they think there's a there's a thought process that you have to work really hard and if you work really hard that someone will recognize your success and yet that doesn't seem to happen um people don't you know that people are caught up they're busy they're in their own you know, realities, they're doing their own striving, and they're not giving you maybe the some of the feedback um, that you need. To, like, somebody's not saying, you know what, you're really good at that. And if we supported each other as women more, I think um, we would begin to own our personal power and recognize our own expertise. Um, and I I, I would just say that imposter syndrome, I've seen this like in PhD candidates, especially like in academia, um, where they just, if it's not perfect and they're not discovering something great and wonderful that they never think, you know, it's sort of a perfectionism. It's not good enough um, mm. as compared to other PhD candidates, this comparison thing that women do, men don't tend to compare themselves as much. They see it kind of as competition, but women sort of compare themselves and are easily swayed by what they see. Um, you know, we, we're all faking it, right? Whatever, whatever someone is showing, we're all thinking that they're more successful than we are. Um, but that's, that's not the truth. That's not the case. And I think that if women stop to look at what do others connect to you for? Like what comes easily to you? Those things we t take for granted. We don't recognize them. We don't see them as anything special. Um, and we downplay them ourselves. We are our own worst enemies. So I just say that people need to show up in their own personal power um, and own it. You know, guys don't seem to have trouble owning what they're good at. And we could take a page from that book to to say, you know what, I'm pretty damn good at this and I'm not going to hide it under a bushel. It's just, it's a different perspective of waiting for that outside perspective rather than 
that gives us approval rather than owning it ourselves and Mm -hmm. putting it out there. So what would you say about when somebody is new at something? Like when you start something, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be as good as, you know, people who have been doing it for a long time. Or if you're if it's a new business, there's a big learning curve to everything you're doing. And I feel like that there's definitely a sort of imposter syndrome with that of like, Mm -hmm. well, I how can I charge people? for mm-hmm. the service that I'm just starting, you know, or this, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so how do you, how do you overcome that sort of imposter syndrome? Well, again, I, I feel like the reason you're attractive to attracted to starting that business is because you already know you have a passion for it. You've been doing it. Even if you haven't been getting paid for it, you've already been doing it. It's been successful in some way. You've gotten positive feedback um, around it. And, what you're actually good at is sort of you know what you're talking about you know what you're doing with that you may not know anything about running a business you may not know anything about marketing that can be learned and there's so much free information never mind courses and everything else to learn those skills but what you're what you're actually delivering is something that you already know um, can can we all tweak? I mean, I don't know. Even CEOs have coaches. Why? Because there's parts of themselves, parts of their personality. There's something called immunity to change, which is that we do certain things to protect, uh, to avoid certain kinds of risks and to protect ourselves. We've learned certain patterns of behavior and we all need to grow and change. What what those things are and without having a coach to help us notice what those things are and to be willing to say it's important to me to be able to talk to my clients in a certain way or to talk to my employees in a certain way but I don't have patience with them etc those are all skills you may be a math whiz you might be able to put together the best business plan because that is a skill that you have but it doesn't mean you still don't have things to learn and I think when you hold when you hold that perspective you realize everybody's out there with things to learn trying to improve uh, whatever it is the ways that they're doing their business and interacting with people around them so I guess that's the best way that I can put it is that you know what you're talking about you know what you're doing and that you're never going to grow if you stay in your comfort zone. So does that mean you shouldn't charge? Absolutely not. It might be in the beginning that you, depending on what your business is, you know, you charge less until you have some testimonials. Right. You know, things like that. But I think owning it is really important. Yeah, I think about that with like, you You just need to deliver on what you're promising that you're delivering. So if you have a, a business and you know I'm kind of new at this, mm-hmm. you're charging less for that service or product than somebody who's been doing it for 10 years. You're like, I think the expectations are going to be, you know, there's a reason I'm not charging double right. is because, you know, they're getting this price because I'm kind of new at this or whatever. And yeah, so you're or- like, I'm going to deliver on what I promised, but I'm not going to deliver on what that other person's doing over there who's, you know been doing it 10 years or whatever and you know what the person who's been doing it 10 years might be stuck in a rut it's true or, <laughs> right or they're the reason that um 
you're going to offer to them for a lesser amount is because you know it's going to take you longer right. maybe than someone else. And if they're willing to give you the time for that lesser amount, then you, then you learn from, from that. But I just think that women get focused on this, I never did this before, or I've only had like three clients and they were all people I knew, whatever it might be, and this is a big job and I've never done all those components is different than how a man will look at it and say, gee, I've done five of the 10 things they want. I'm ready to take on this job. Hmm. It's, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a focus that's different for women. Who's like, I don't have all 10 things. Therefore I shouldn't go after this job. And yeah. It's like focusing on the positive part of it instead of the negative. Of exactly. what you don't know. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's, that's good. Yeah. I have to like, I feel like have sort of a mantra if I'm doing something new of sort of like, it doesn't matter who you are, you're, you have to learn how to do it. And there's a right. learning curve. And so I have to remind myself that of that all the time. If it's something that I've never done before, of, of course, you're not going to be good at it. No, and I think, though, that, you know, we're attracted to do things that we already have some skill toward. And you might have 70% of what's required to master, you know, sort of generally master whatever that is and we're so focused on that 30% we don't have yet that yeah. we devalue the 70% that we already own you know yeah, that's, that's I think yeah, that's, that's the difference yeah yeah and I think and being, being authentic um, you know you can also in business tell someone you know I've never done that before um, but here's my thinking about it and let me know if that resonates with you hmm. because oftentimes if they've built trust with you and you've taken them so far in a journey and then they're asking you to add something you know instinctually whether a it's true to you authentic that you want to do that that you think you do have skills to do that um, and it's perfectly okay to say you know what I think you should hire someone else for this component of it. I can mm. bring you this far. Like whatever, being authentic to yourself brings sincerity. It brings instead of anxiety, like your willingness to go all out to figure out how that should happen and to talk to people and interview them and research it or whatever you need. But if you're faking it too far and promising, like you were saying earlier, sticking to your promises um, on what you can deliver, you if you're faking it and you can't do it, then you've really messed up your own mind, your own confidence, never mind for the client and, and all kinds of things. So be authentic about it. Yeah. So what would uh, you say if somebody is a person that really struggles with their confidence? Do you have any, what are some specific steps or tips that you can give them to try to build that? I think it depends on, on, just if we could get specific for a minute, like confidence in what? I guess in, in maybe somebody starting out, they're in a new entrepreneurial endeavor. What what sure. would you what what sort of tips could they? Well, you? you know, I think I think some people are naturally risk adverse, hmm. and the entrepreneur's journey is going to be really hard. Yeah, for someone because it is definitely rocky. I mean, if you're if you're an entrepreneur that is eventually wants to own, you know, start its own um, 
firm that does bookkeeping and it does financial statements and other things and you're just starting out in the beginning, you know, with a few clients doing their tax returns, whatever, it's it's not as risky because it's it, you're controlling the growth of it. You have the knowledge, you know, you're you're able to apply this skill in a very direct way. But if you're not good at selling and meeting with clients, right, it's going to be that adjustment and putting yourself out there and knowing what a client needs to hear that you're going to solve their problems and you need to be, you need to work with that. I think it's building courage by trying something new and um, something low risk. So maybe mm -hmm. you're working with a client already and you decide to offer a new service to them that they don't already have. So you can begin to build your courage by an experimentation with seeing how they respond, practicing having to put something out there. How do you um, coach people on how to deal with failures? I think we all have them. And I usually ask them to reflect on another point in their life when where they feel that they failed at something. I think failing at a business um, feels enormous. But I think there's a reason why people say, um, you know, fail early, fail fast. Yeah. And that's because um, a lot of times we have a good idea about something. We think there's a market for it and we're, you know, willing to jump in and try to start this business. But then we find out that you know, we can't do it to scale or we can't get the investment in it because um, the amount of time that it would take to bring it up to the scale that the investors want it to be. I mean, some of those things are kind of out of our control. And the hardest thing about it is that we put ourselves, so much of ourselves into that idea and that business and I would ask people to think about themselves as an artist, you know, painters, dancers, fall artists, paint over the painting that they were creating. Um, nature itself is not perfect, right? Um, mm. And why do we expect ourselves to always succeed? It's at a higher level sometimes, and we poured ourselves into it. So it feels like losing a part of ourself when that business does not um, pan out. But I try to get people to focus on through this process. Um, what, and not from a negative point of view, but sort of what can they take with them? You know, it's like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater expression, sort of, okay, <laughs> yep, everything drained out of it, but I still have this. Um, and to recognize how much they've grown personally that prepares them for the next opportunity. You know, people get fired from jobs, um, which is, a you know, for them maybe a kind of failure. And, and sometimes it's deserved. So why, why do you think you got fired, so to speak? Why do you think this business didn't work out? Where's, is it the idea? Is it the timing? Is it the investment? Is it sort of, honing in on what you're responsible for and what you're not, and then letting it go and forgiving yourself. 
Right, because you have to kind of realize at the end of it, you may have an opportunity to sort of pivot the original business idea into something else. Right. Or or it may be that, no, you can't, you got to pack it all up and that whatever you were doing isn't working. But the skills that you have or the <laughs> connections that you made That's right. may be the thing that carries you through the, the next um, either entrepreneurial journey or even just career move. Maybe you end up it opens a door for you. That's somewhere. true. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's usually not, it's, it's kind of like a reframing, a reframing of you um, in terms of your trajectory. I think the people mourn the ideal, right? Cause you focus on the goal, you focus on the outcome that you want to achieve. And, and so that's the piece that goes away is that vision, that dream, of, of how you thought the future would be with this job that you're, you know, uh, providing or um, business that you're doing. It's that. And I think there's a mourning that has to go on. You can't just doesn't deeply affect you. I, I, yeah. I usually try to talk to them about creating some kind of, a, I don't know, I, I I don't want to call it a ceremony. I would just say some um, act that they that symbolizes where they can be grateful for what they learn through that process. Because gra- gratitude is incredibly healing, and we are transformed. We are like a bottle of wine that is and gaining new notes, right, um, as we age and go through that process of this. And now you're a different bottle of wine, ready to do something different with what you've learned from that. But you need a process of some kind to, to recognize that you've lost that. I mean, I, I, I use that also sometimes with um, women that have been in a relationship you know, with someone for enough time for them to begin to talk about future plans, maybe vacations or trips or whatever, and then that relationship ends. There's a mourning of missing that person, but there's also a mourning of who you are in that future setting, right? You're having to let go of that. It doesn't mean you won't achieve great things, but it's not going to be in that setting, so... It's important to recognize that. Yeah, I like that about the gratitude being really healing. I don't know that I've ever thought about it in those specific terms before, but that is really true. And um, yeah, I like that. Thank you for thank sure. you for sharing that. I'm sure. going to keep that in mind. Sure. <laughs> That's good for me. Um, let's talk for a minute about um, changing uh, topic just a little bit. If you are working with somebody who is either prepping for to pitch to somebody or um, for a speech of some sort, what do you normally, um, how do you, how do you walk them through that? What are some things you guys do to prepare? Well, I mean, I think most people are nervous um, and be saying that they're, they're, um, they're sweating or, you know, their hands are shaking. Um, they're having trouble looking the person in the face. And I, I draw, believe it or not, on my singing background because what I know about being able to 
own your personal power, right? Be in the place where you are at your most um, confident means, first of all, how are you physically standing? You know, there's that book, I can't remember the author's name, where she talks about posing in the mirror, taking a power stance. In singing, the idea is that you plant your feet on the ground and you feel sort of the back of your thighs. You feel the way your legs are holding you up and are planted on the earth and you're drawing that energy up from the, from the earth to feed through you, to feed you the energy you need, no power. So it's very much, do you have your shoulders back? Like, is your head erect? Almost as if you were like a marionette and you had strings holding your shoulders up. And the reason you do that is so that you're not collapsing down on your stomach and it, on your sort of, you know, where your lungs cannot expand down below your rib cage. You need that deep breath. You need the relaxation, like a yoga breath, right? Where you can really be relaxed before you speak because you can't, it's pretty hard to be nervous if you're taking these sort of deep yogic breaths and you're planted mm -hmm. where you need to be. It's a very physical sort of ownership of your physical body on in space whereas most people are like rushing to get out there and they're not really thinking about their body at all but your body is what's holding your anxiety and your nerves so it's very important that you practice when you're giving going to give your pitch that you're practicing physically what you're doing and then the other piece of it is mindset and I think that's what goes back to you know your stuff. And if you're arguing in your mind, it's like, you're gonna be okay. You're you're you know what you know what you need to say, you've been practicing, right? And you're that's your idea of giving yourself a pep talk. You have not reverse engineered the actual talk that you need to be giving yourself, which is before you even go out there you already need to have in your mind that you just gave the best possible pitch and talk that you ever could. And I am to have given this talk today because look at how many people are going to receive the benefit of what I have to offer to them, right? You have to be actually, actually in the moment as if you've already done it very successful. And then you reverse your engineer yourself back to saying, I can't wait to give this talk because I know it's going to go great. And the, and all of these people are going to get the benefit of what I have to offer them. And this is my why. This is why I do what I do. This is the my reason for being in this business because I know I can solve this for them or I can make it better for them by doing this. That's the mindset, not like I think, I hope I'm going to do okay. I'm not going to forget. You know, do you understand the difference yeah. where I'm at? Yeah. So it's reverse engineering from that moment that you've already seen in the future. It's happened just the way you want it to be. And then you're in your zone. You're like excited. You're happy, right? Because you're thrilled that you've done this. And when you go out there, you've got your body position. Hey. I'm here to talk to you today and I'm so excited, right? It's, it just comes naturally in that way. It is not forced. 
So when you talk about practicing, do you recommend practicing like with a mirror or with another person or both? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I I mean, I think that it's, I think it's a very uh, mostly practical at first to make sure, you know, in, in any in storytelling, there are kind of, there's a flow right? There's a, there's a high and then a low. Um, and, and so many times people get really focused on the kind of data points or the, or the details of, of what they're saying. And they forget to take the audience along with you in the journey of where you want them to end up at the end, which is, is excited about what you can bring to them. And so, it takes a while, I think, in your own mind to be practicing, where do I need to kind of ramp it up, the enthusiasm, the excitement, and then where do I bring it down? And sure, I'll tell you everything that is in the product that you're going to get, you know, because I know you're going to have these questions about what do I actually get when I buy this from you, right? So you're still giving some of those, but then you're bringing back to them and this is what you're suffering with and this is what I'm bringing to you this is the this will be the results that you will experience for yourself when you buy this thing or do this thing it's you have to take them on that journey and then the the difficulty sometimes of practicing it in front of people you know is they need to be people that will understand what it is that you're trying to do and be able to kind of add value or critique and sometimes that's hard right to find the right person that can do that for you so it's like don't do it with your husband um, unless they give pitches all the time and they can you know offer you something knowing who you are in your authentic self because a lot of times it'll just be they'll be like you're not talking loud enough or (laughs) you know I mean and that's it's helpful to hear that but what they really should be saying is I don't feel your energy coming through that's why Mm -hmm. you're not talking loud enough and that's where it's I think sometimes difficult to find the right person that can say those kinds of things and understand and keep it focused on what are the things that you need to bring up in yourself in order to make it more effective. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I, I generally, um, I ask people to actually to journal, um, to write out, you know, every day for a week that end outcome state that they want to experience. So it's as real as possible to them. Like, I just signed a $25,000 contract. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. Can't wait to get this project started. Whatever that, you know, whatever that end result is that you want. I just sold them 50 widgets. I don't know. Be focused and focus on the feeling that they feel inside themselves when that happens. The joy, the happiness, the excitement. They have to keep bringing themselves to that place. So it's kind of real and they're putting that energy out into the world once they have that to start thinking about the flow right of what's really important for them for these people to understand what thing this is and how this will solve their problems right how do you build that into that then the third part of it is what's my why why am I doing this why did I get into this 
in the beginning, right? And, and it's because I want them to be happy. I want those people to be healthy. I want whatever it is, right? Just keep your why because those are all the energy giving things that you need. And then last but not least, it's like if you only could tell them three things, what would those three things be? It's hard for people to hold on to. If you, you can give them all the information, but they're only going to be listening for the energy flow that you're giving. And they're going to sort of take it in, but the three things are the things they're going to hold on to. So what are the most three things you know, that they need to hold on to at the end of my conversation, um, a proposal, a brochure, whatever, that has all the facts and figures, even though I said maybe some of them in my pitch, because they won't remember those things. Those were not the high energy things. Hmm. What sort of advice do you give for people in terms of like long-term goals? Because I think that's very interesting what you were describing in terms of the journaling for a specific event. But do you have... Um, some tips about like what they want to do in the next year or um, over a, yeah. a longer course of time. I mean, I think that I'm a, I'm a believer in smart goals. Um, and you know, smart goals are specific goals. It's like, if you said to me, you know, I want to sell, um, I don't know. I want to make a million dollars, you know, I'm going to do a, a million dollars in sales. Um, I would just say that's okay, you know, that's nice. I would say what is what are your strategies? What's your plan for getting there? What specifically? How many things? How many contracts, you know, are you going to sell? How many prospects do you have to have to make those sales? Right? So that's kind of re that's in its own way reverse engineering the goals. Um they it has to be measurable. You know like I need to make this month per this much money per week or per month in order to achieve that goal. By the end of the first quarter, I will look to see if I made fifteen thousand dollars in sales or whatever you know whatever your goal is. Um, I think a lot of times we just go in and hope, like, oh, I hope I can you know see some people today that I can try to sell my you know work to. That's not to downplay the serious entrepreneurs that are really out there banging on doors and calling people. The other piece of it, though, is um, if you don't measure the strategies that you've put in place to try to achieve the goals, then you have no way to stop and say at the end of the first quarter, okay, my strategies because this is really working but this part is not so I need a creative brainstorming day right here to say okay if this isn't working what can I do to change that or tweak it so I think I, what I see often is that people are not doing enough measurement of um, whether they're actually on track for achieving their goals and they're afraid to push themselves they either have like a, a too big of a goal of where they want to be or it's like what they exactly know they can do. They don't put a stretch goal in there for what might be possible. And that's back to then the journaling work, which is what are the things you want in your life and how are you going to make those things happen? Um, you know, it, it could be that, you, gee, I want a new car, a new house, a new this, a new that, or... I want to contribute to a college fund for my children. I want to, um, 
you know, whatever, whatever those goals are, and then say, well, how am I going to achieve that goal besides hoping and wishing for that? What would I need to do differently in order to get to that place to achieve it? So I do believe that we only have so much control over um, the process, you know, of whether something works or not. The only thing we can pay attention to is whether I've put in the, the work that I need to, whether I needed to tweak something and I just keep blindly going forward doing the same thing, which is back to this immunity to change, you know, which is, it's like a rampant disease that we all have of not wanting to change things that we know that we should change and being alert and aware of, of when that needs to happen. I mean, they talk about the need to pivot um, today and that companies are, are really focused on how quickly things are changing and how fast they have to pivot what they're doing. So I think goal setting is like, it's even hard to set goals for more than a year. Yeah. I was going to say the other piece of it that we don't talk a lot about is that it's not just our income goals where we're breaking it down, um, you know, sort of week by week or month by month, like how many sales calls do I need to make in order to, you know, have enough prospects to make this many sales. But I think it's also like, are we planning for our vacations? Are we um, focused on how we want to grow as people? Do we have um, some sort of what I call a spiritual practice? And I don't mean religious on that. I just sort of mean, like, do we do yoga or do we meditate or do we um, spend time, you know, in nature? Um, I mean, spirituality means so many things to different, you know, people. Um, right. You know what your own kind of spiritual practice is. Do you make time for that in your life? Because you need that time for self-reflection, for appreciation, for um, stress reduction, you know, all of those things. And that needs to be factored in as much as kind of the goals that you're seeking in sales and, and other types of things related to your business. Because you are a human being. You are not a human doing, right? So you have to feed all the parts of you to keep that energy. I've never heard that before. The human, not a human doing. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. So the last question I have for you is if you just had one main piece of advice or tip for a mom entrepreneur, what would that be? I would say that you being pulled in a, in a million directions, um, as a person, as a woman, as a wife, as a business owner, um, as, you know, a parent, um, as a daughter, you know, as a caretaker. I mean, you've, you've got a million roles that you're having to play every day. The, the most I can say is that you need to understand that flexibility is key to your success and happiness. Um, and that if you focus on owning sort of you, your personal power, you're, you're, you haven't lost anything. Like 
when you're in business, you're still owning your personal power as a wife and a mother. Um, and when you're at home with your family, you are still owning your personal power as a kick-ass entrepreneur. Like, it's the totality of you. Do not allow yourself to compartmentalize the various facets and components of you because is your wholeness that gives you the strength you need to be successful in all the areas of your life that you are reaching for. Um, so don't cut off one part or another. And it's not the details, the small stuff that matters. It's not the, it's the, you can spend 10 minutes with your kids playing hide and seek in your workday and it will not affect your ability to do your business. You may not be able to spend two hours with them, but the quality of the 10 to 20 minutes that you spend with them, holistically, all of you, all of your energy and joy and gratitude will have as lasting a mark on them than if you spent two hours with them. Mm. Yeah, being very present exactly. in that moment. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the thing with... Oh, probably all entrepreneurs, but definitely mom entrepreneurs is that we are constantly multitasking yes. the nature of our lives and that sometimes you've just got to try to monotask when you can and just <laughs> do the thing in front of you, whether that's you with know, your kids or I, work. And I think that that's, you know, even when you're, let's say, in business, you can only focus on the one person you're helping at that moment. So that same sense of presence that you have with your son or your daughter, when you're focusing just on them, I mean, multitasking in some ways is a bit of a myth, right? You, because right. you're at that moment, even if it's only a minute here and a minute there, at that moment, be fully there. Focus on that one person at that moment. Because kids will feel when you are not focused on what they're trying to get from you. If you're trying to multitask talking on the phone and answering them, screaming about a cookie or whatever it is, they know they don't have your attention. So it's difficult, but how can you be really present in each of those moments, bringing your full self to it? Yeah. Something, something to work towards. Yes. Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much yeah. for your time. I really appreciate it. I feel like this has been uh, some wonderful tips and things that I know that I'm going to be thinking about. <laughs> wonderful. Uh, That's great. Up, so. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. When Sarah Jane and I finished our interview, we kept talking for a minute and our conversation took like a really interesting turn and I wanted to include it today. I cleared it with Sarah Jane for us to play this part of the conversation since it wasn't a part of like the official interview, but I think you guys will find it really thought provoking. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I, I'm really glad you're doing this and, and, um, and, you know, I just, I, you know, now that we're off, I was going to say one of the, th I hope you'll do a show about this, that one of the things that I've seen is too often women like might be writing let's say for example they might have some skills at writing and maybe they're doing some work you know for a nonprofit and and they're not getting paid for it right they're they're 
thinking in their mindset that I'm not really, I'm not a professional writer, even though I am putting out their newsletter for them. I'm not a professional writer or I'm not a, I'm not a PR person or a marketing person, even though they're doing their communications planning, right? And because they had some skills um, at some point and they can do this and they never transfer their mindset to be like, this is a value. I should get paid for this and asking for the money. They're like, grateful to have some time out um, and they don't ask for the title they I don't understand what it is where they don't ask to be paid or they don't ask to get be paid what they're actually doing and what's actually worth something whether it starts with a title or money I don't know if you've seen this at all but I was sort of shocked actually to see a bunch of it at a at a women's co-working space um, in Pittsburgh that there was a lot of these women and they didn't take themselves serious at all. You think it's like a fear of rejection? It's sort of a not it's again I think it's partly not owning what they're doing okay, um, yeah. kind of that that personal power and you know because they only maybe do it part-time or they're doing it once a week they you know I have this one of the things that um, Jessica Strong and I have done in terms of um, people wanting to start nonprofits, we make the women, it's mostly women, they're occasionally men, we make them stand up and say their name and that they are the executive director of such and such nonprofit. Hmm. Because they're still thinking of themselves as, I don't know what I'm doing. I just started this. You know, oh, I'm not an executive director. Holy mo You know what I'm saying? They don't want to own the fact that they are actually the person that's running this nonprofit. And I see that with these people that are doing these freelance jobs. They go and do this or that, but they don't claim or own the fact that, yeah, I'm a writer. And you hired me to do writing and create a communications plan. Um, and I deserve to be paid for that. They just look at it as I just, oh, this is a little job thing that I do on the side. You know, I help out. It's, it's incredible to me, that mindset. I can't even imagine a man ever thinking that. Yeah, that's true. Seriously? Yeah, think about it. No. Just well, I think that. that that's that's so interesting what you're saying about the nonprofit because I feel like that's for some people, especially if you are starting a business, particularly if it's a part time business of having sort of the same attitude of yes. like standing up and saying, I'm the owner of such and such company. That's what I'm saying. That's what I think that's what I'm trying to say is that yeah. these are women that are solopreneurs basically but they don't see themselves as a business owner and like charging because you still have to pay taxes people you still have to do a schedule c you still have to have all this stuff it just blows my mind and i it's it's rampant yeah so i think you should eventually you know do a show it would be it would be fascinating to maybe interview two or three people that are reluctant to do it, reluctant to kind of own and name themselves as that, okay. to understand yeah. what their perspective is, because I think it would touch a nerve with a lot of, um, especially beginning women, and yeah. how easy that actually is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're totally right. Big thanks to Sarah Jane for being on the show today. I've been thinking so much about this interview since I recorded it. 
I really love the idea of being grateful for your failures and reframing them to find the good. And I think for anyone who struggles with perfectionism, like me, that's really great advice. You can find more information about Sarah Jane at her website, sarahjanelowry.com. And again, that's Sarah with no H. As always, you can swing by golddiggermom.com to check out the show notes from today's interview. Be on the lookout for new shows every Tuesday. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you join me again soon.